Okay, guys, um, we're back again live, uh, episode number 18. Um, and today we actually have a couple of guests joining us uh, from the University of Waterloo. We have head coach Ben Norris um, and director of player development, Dr. Andrew Robb. So, guys, I'll let you go one at a time and kind of give your uh, bios or baseball resumes, and uh, then we'll start this conversation. Sure, yeah. Hey, coach. I'll, uh, I'll lead it off, but we'll leave the heavy hitters to come second. So, um, yeah, Ben Norris. I'm the head coach and uh, manager of baseball ops at the University of Waterloo. Um, grew up playing minor baseball in the Waterloo Minor Baseball Association. Uh, played a couple seasons in the PBLO as well. Uh, and then went to the University of Waterloo. Played there for five years. Uh, was captain my last two. And then uh, actually won a J.O. Hempel Award. Actually, another baseball player won it this year too. Um, started coaching as an assistant coach after I finished teacher's college, uh, and then, uh, kind of recently took over as the head coach of the team. Awesome. Thanks uh, for joining us, Ben. Uh, I'm Dr. Uh, Andrew Robb, also known as a Rob on the ball fields. Um, I grew up playing ball through Guelph, uh, rose up through the ranks into junior played Brock, uh, 98 as relief pitcher. That was the year that uh, we won nationals when they were still a national tournament. Uh, with Andrew Tinnish, our assistant GM for the Toronto Blue Jays. He was our ace that year, so it was pretty cool watching that. Um, but ultimately, where my baseball background is, it's uh, I'm into more the, the sport medical side and the biomechanics, uh, which is where I teamed up with uh, Ben and his coaching staff, helping out with their player development and sort of uh, one of the assistant coaches with uh, the pitchers themselves. So thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Perfect. So I, I think we'll, we'll get this out of the way right to start. Uh, Dr. Rob, you, uh, so you were down in uh, at spring training, um, yep. kind of in a different role. We had uh, Cole Tucker, who was an NCAA athlete on yesterday, and he gave us his kind of story on the whole COVID situation and how it went down for him and being at a Division One school. And then we had Philippe Oman explain the situation when he was down at Blue Jays camp. So for yourself, I know that you were down there in a capacity. Um, so what was it like for you when all this started to break open and it was kind of uh, kind of communicated that spring training would be postponed or eventually canceled? Yeah, uh, so I went down uh, just before everything really hit, just as a, to clarify, but it was still in the news. It was starting to break out, um, but I was going down um, in support with uh, Calvin Ziegler He's a local boy here who's uh, with the junior national team and uh, a guy named Alex Nolan, who's in the, the Jays organization, who actually came through the OUA ranks out of Brock University. Um, so helping them out a little bit. But the big key to that, I think because it was still under the radar, it didn't really trigger too much. I think people were still like, OK, you know what, it's there. It's, it's sort of a dark cloud, but they were there for baseball. So you know that people had something just to take their minds off things. And I think that was uh, sort of really the the rhetoric and sort of the the tone than anything else. But it's um, but by the end of that trip, I think it was becoming clear that okay, like this is now something that's coming to the forefront, and uh, they were starting to crack down on sort of curfew and who they were hanging out with and starting to monitor some uh, some of the symptoms. But otherwise, it it wasn't full on like it would have been probably a week later. I was there the 9, 10, 11, so just before things hit. Um, but otherwise, it was it was still okay at the time. 
but I think it was almost like people walking on eggshells a little bit, right? Especially towards the end of it, and and, if, and for good reason. So, yeah, and I guess just to stay there, Ben, I'll I'll transition this question to you. Uh, we had uh, Cole Tucker on, a local boy from here in Newfoundland, playing D one with Niagara. And we're starting to ask some of these questions now that we know about eligibility being extended in the NCAA. I mean, what what is this going to look like for baseball in the OUA? We'll get into the Waterloo program in a bit, but you know, what does it look like in terms of you know returning seniors, the new class of kids that are coming in? How does it change your philosophy as a coach when you're trying to build your program next year? Uh, I think the first thing um, is that actually at Waterloo we have a lot of students that study through the summer as well. Um, our co-op program is, is arguably the best in the country. So because of those summer opportunities and, and that sort of thing, those students have actually transitioned to all online classes. So at this point, anyways, um, we're hopeful that that those that need to get their, their credits and that sort of thing will still be able to do so. Um, as it pertains more sort of recruiting, um, you know, the transition to, to online classes for high school students um, will affect admissions and that sort of thing, not just at our school, but, but probably schools right across the North America anyways. And, and uh, so for, in order for schools to get the grade data that they need to make, you know, really important decisions on whether a kid's admissible, um, we're going to have to wait and see how uh, grades are, are developed and, and that sort of thing um, through the rest of the school year. So um, as it pertains to eligibility and, and that sort of thing, uh, we've started to see a little bit of a trickle down with the NCAA seniors getting an extra year, potentially meaning that there are fewer spaces for 2020 recruits. Um, so I know for our program in particular, we've had some expressions of interest from different players um, that maybe we figured might have been off our radar because of U.S. opportunities that, that they felt uh, really good about. And so it's neat to see that kind of coming back and, and hopefully I think will mean good things for the OUA and, and the caliber of baseball right across um, hopefully Canadian universities and colleges all over the place. Yeah, that's a really good point to, to kind of talk about. You know, there's been a resurgence, uh, we'll say, in OUA baseball over the, you know, last five plus years. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But to your point, this, I mean, with all the negative things that are happening, this could actually be a very positive thing ultimately in the end for Canadian sports, right? It's, it's going to allow some of the top tier athletes potentially from, you know, not needing to go south of the border and, and seek those opportunities home and realize that they can play high caliber sports and get a really good education by staying on, you know, on uh, this side of the border. Um, and now I just want to touch a little bit on the recruiting side of it. We had uh, in our first episode, we had Jeff Skelhorn on from uh, Queens nice. and we asked, you know, how does he go about recruiting players? And his comment to us, you know, we were asking, are you looking for tools or this or that? His first comment was, I need to know if they can get into my school. So he looks at the grade sheets first. He identifies all the kids that have the ability to, you know, attend his school with their, their grades. And then he starts the recruiting process. So, I mean, a school like Waterloo, you know, one of the better academic institutions in the country, how does it work for you guys? I mean, it must be a little bit tighter trying to find some athletes to play baseball there. Absolutely. Um, our ac academic reputation certainly is one of the first things that people think about when they associate with the University of Waterloo. So um, same sort of thing. When, uh, when somebody reaches out to us or if we've got our eye on someone in particular, the first question that we need to answer is, is do they have the grades to get into the program that they're most interested in? Um, and I think finding the right fit for kids um, from an academic standpoint with a quality program, uh, admissible 
um, that sort of thing should always come before uh, ability on the baseball field. And, and we really try to, to hone in and, and find guys that dedicate themselves to their training, but, but also really to their studies as well. So I love seeing guys that post videos of, uh, you know, them grinding and, and that kind of thing. But I also like to see pictures of report cards that have great grades on it and, and stuff like that too. So for sure. And uh, I'll, I'll kind of transition it uh, for you, uh, Dr. Rob, into yeah. sort of your role again with uh, it's, it's not very often, especially with anybody that's familiar with OUA schools to have um, somebody that's in a uh, player development role and kind of, yeah. Again, this is a can of worms that we said may take a little longer, but I wanted to start the conversation now about sure. what that means exactly with player development and uh, kind of uh, how it's helped Waterloo and uh, the progress you guys are going to see and have seen. So, yeah, with the role itself, I think it, it, it evolved coming on board, uh, partly because of the skill set, like being a therapist, uh, having the biomechanics background and throwing, the SNC work that I can do as well. Um, but also too, some of the coaching experience I do have, it's just like wear a lot of hats on what would be a good fit to help out what Ben's trying to implement. And it's uh, with the player development, really it's it's a liaison with a lot of other networks that we have because we have our sport medical staff on site that I can help um, either mentor with this, some of the student uh, trainers or just help communicate a lot of the medical that goes on that um, sometimes the, the school is burdened with because there's so many athletes. Um, but also too, on the pitching side, being able to integrate a lot of what we're trying to do, both medical, long-term four-year plan, plan, but also um, from the standpoint on, like Ben inherited the team, uh, I think last year or the year before, where there was a lot of foundational work that had to go into it and changing culture and, and really establishing the program, um, the contribution that I, I was able to offer is to help be that liaison just to make sure that it actually competes with some of the stronger programs in the OUA, right? Because um, we got great talent, but sometimes if it's not coordinated or if it's not managed well, it, it, talent only goes so far, right? And that's where I think uh, we saw a big jump this year. I think Ben has some of the stats on our sort of our record, but. Um, guys are buying into the process and that's where really player development is process, right? Um, whether it's in managing school versus injuries, cause it's inevitable, but also too, how do you get better next year? And also too, a part of the player development side of it is yes, we get you for eight weeks plus, but you still have a summer team to go to. You're going back home. And some of the trademark of what Waterloo is, is going to show up in that process. And we, we take pride in the fact that, you know, we've developed these kids well, they're healthy going to their summer teams. And I like to think that these kids are smarter about what they do and what their craft is about, that they can share that information with their summer teams. And then when they come back, come late August, right, we hit the ground running and they've got, they've logged some of the crucial innings that they need, especially for the younger guys that, and our recruits that they need to log innings just to now compete because as everyone's alluded to that the OUA is getting better. The caliber each year is improving. So it's, it's not just here now for these eight weeks, it's like four years. Right. And, you know, we take responsibility for these recruits, right. We're trying to entice them to play baseball, but, and they also have marks, but we got to make sure that this is what Ben's advertised. Right. And sort of, I'm trying to help with that uh, process and just make sure it's as advertised. 
And, and what's one of the biggest areas of focus right now that um, you think that you've you've brought into the program? And especially when we talk player development, I know that I, I'm I'm a big proponent on the movement side of things. Right. What's one thing that you find has come along slowly and will continue to kind of evolve as time goes along and with these athletes that you have at Waterloo? Um, I, I, I think the big issue is preparation, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a very broad categorical term and on it. And that was uh, one of the big things we started implementing last winter is you show up to practice. Like, what is it you're doing? Don't warm up because it's a warm up. Like do the things that you need to do because you play baseball because of some of the issues you have, whether it be injuries, lack of range, poor movement quality, whatever it may be. So that way, when it comes time to doing the skill work that Ben's trying to implement into the team practices, you can actually do it and actually acquire the effects that you need, right? Movement quality is one aspect, but it's how do you prepare yourself to do more movement work to improve that quality so that quality shows up in that skill acquisition. And I think a lot of the guys, um, it was the regiment and the structure to preparation. Like we don't waver from it. And it's, you, you got to get in, you got to put in your time and it evolves over time, right? Based on um, how successful you are, if there's injuries, like there's always a reset in some respects. If there's an injury or the skill is not quite um, acquired well and you're struggling to sort of get better or it's, you've had time off like this time period right now. Um, so I think in that regard, um, that's, I think a bigger issue for the guys, but also to coordinating it with how you need to um, acquire the skill, right? There's a, it's on a sort of a spectrum, so to speak. And I think the, the big part is guys train hard for the sake of training hard, not training consistently, which is the hard part to the training, to working on what you need. And sometimes guys, well, some pitchers don't need movement quality. They just need to maintain it, build some durability, and then start to work on some of the rudimentary skill work that I think guys don't like doing. They just like to get into it, throw a little bit, and now do their bullpens or whatever it may be. Like, no, like at the spring training level, if there's a comment to be made on that, pros spend more time doing the basics than doing fancy work, right? And I think that sometimes gets lost in the grassroots, even the elite level sometimes. They just get hung up on competition and play. No, man, it's the basics. Like we go through a lot of drill work, that is like monotonous at times, but that's how skill is acquired it's through repetition. But it's just uh, basically a hierarchy or a scaling on skill complexity that I think guys don't quite get because of time. And also, too, sometimes coaches don't necessarily have that skill set in some respects, right? So, the, and my last point to it is a lot of times it's deconstructing some of what they've learned because now we get you for four years and we got to sort of take in what they've learned, which is some of it is good. Some of it is, okay, maybe not relevant now and where we need you this season, next year or four years from now, based on sort of where your skill is at. And also too, more so than anything else, are the kids motivated, right? And that's the hard part. Cause when you start breaking guys down and say like, nah, man, like you're not doing this, you're not doing that. You need to go and do these things on your own. That's tough on a kid, especially if you're a high recruit and you're now being told like, oh, like I'm, not as good as I thought it was that it's a tactful conversation at times. And that, I think that's a, also an equally um, challenging barrier, if not uh, the, the barrier at times. 
I don't yeah, know, Ben, what do you I think? think that's, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to transition that one to Ben, uh, just following up off of your point there. But, I mean, you have the programs that you're implementing, Dr. Robin. Ben, yeah. you know, you have things you want to accomplish with the team. I want to bring those things together and kind of tie that into now the new recreation facility that you have. I think this is where I wanted to go with the conversation. You now have at your school an absolute world-class facility where you can – you can obviously as a coach – you have you know a longer season to work on the things you want to develop and you have someone like Dr. Rob in your pocket where you can you know put a scientific approach behind your programs what do these things mean for you as a coach now that these things are starting to come together yeah i mean uh, just kind of circling back a little bit i i want to touch on how critical it's been to have andrew as part of our program um, we've and and actually our entire staff to be honest with you um, doua in in a lot of respects uh, years and years ago had, had kind of been a show and go league. I mean, if you look at it from yeah. 20 years ago, even guys show up at the park, they do, you know, whatever was necessary and, and they'd play games and that was it. You know, maybe there were practices here and there, but there wasn't off season full year program development, kind of the way that we're doing it now. You know, we've got strength and conditioning. We've got Andrew working on all kinds of pitcher specific stuff and uh, mobility stuff and body preparation and, uh, you know, skill work with all of our coaches and, and that sort of thing. So um, it, it's pretty cool to see. And I think a lot of programs in the OUA are, are more this direction now that it's not a show and go league. It's a show up and, and work your tail off for uh, four years and, and leave a much better player than you came in. And I think that's an important distinction too. And um, over the years, maybe not every guy that played OUA baseball could have said that, but certainly in the last five or even 10 uh, years, that that's been the focus and the direction. And uh, for us, the new field house, I mean, actually, we have a new practice diamond on campus as well. It's going to open all kinds of doors that we wouldn't have had in the past. Um, the fact that we were in that field house, you know, for optional team workouts uh, and not even team workouts, just individual guys that, that want to come in between classes and hit balls in our in our tunnel there or throw a pen or whatever. Uh, we were in there, kind of opened it up in, in December um, to op optional stuff and then got our full teamwork going um, actually ended December um, and right through the entire spring and until COVID stuff started to take us away. So uh, yeah, it's a game changer. No question about it. It's basically the size of a full football field indoors. Um, you can do long toss in two thirds of it and get out you know, 240 feet. Um, and most guys aren't throwing much further than that for initial long toss stuff with two thirds. So uh, yeah, it, it's a monster for us. And, and so I think that'll help it already has paid some serious dividends on the recruiting side of things. Um, and then, yeah, it just continues to be our responsibility as coaches and as our, our, our player leadership group too, to um, offer good development when we're in there. It's one thing to have an awesome space, but you got to use it effectively um, and you got to make sure guys have access to it. So we've been fortunate. Our, our department's really supportive of getting us in there and um, allowing us to do the things that, that we need to do to push to be, you know, an elite program. Canada-wide, not just the yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's a, a really good point. And, and that's, you know, what, what I want to touch on now is how does this work uh, for you? I mean, is this a more collaborative process or do you sit down and say, okay, you know, here's the players I got this year. I just evaluated, picked my team. Now I need to sit down with Dr. Rob and say, do, am I saying this is what I think we need to work on? Or, you know, is Dr. Rob coming out and saying, okay, this is what I've seen and this is what you need to work on? I mean, how do you guys go through that process together? We'll start with you, Ben, and then Dr. Sure. Rob, let you kind of give your two cents on as well. Sure. Uh, so the, the cool thing for us, 
um, is even when we're starting to evaluate talent, when we have kids down for our recruiting showcase or for visits on their own, that sort of thing, um, we get a pretty good look at what they can do. Um, and we try to build that in in training camp as well. So we, we double down with strength and conditioning combines in training camp, um, a lot of anthropometric data, a lot of baseball specific data collection. Um, and we carry that right through the season and the off season too. Um, I know guys are, are really keying on measurables and, and so we kind of will collect those, but we also need to know the whys behind them. So A-Rob's yeah. huge for that, no question about it. But yeah. um, as we try to assimilate talent too, we've got a great guy uh, by the name of Jesse Levine. He works for PBR. Um, he'd be an awesome, uh, an awesome get on a podcast like this someday. But um, basically he knows literally any kid in Ontario and, and it seems like most of the 16 through 18 U kids right across the country. Um, his his knowledge and that database of of players that he has access to um, is a huge tool for for understanding who might be a good fit um, and that sort of thing and and so we try to take yeah all of that and and bring it to training camp and see sort of who steps up and inevitably there will be guys that that come that you have no idea about that still impress and and that kind of thing and, and you love to see that um, and so that's kind of the the direction that we we go to when it comes to assessing talent our whole staff is involved in the process um, a lot of tough decisions are going to be made about our roster this year um, because uh, we've, we've done more recruiting now in the last two years since we got the program than i think has ever been done before um, and i hope that those tough decisions will lead to you know certainly a, a really top end product on the field too what do you think andrew um so like one of the big things for us is accountability and the assessment, uh, preseason training camp combines, even in January, when we started doing our combines before a lot of the COVID stuff, um, is to make sure guys are accountable to the work that we're implementing. Number one, number two, it keeps us and obviously, especially me, um, accountable. Like if we're doing this work, I'm saying do X, Y, and Z, it's, it's going to give you Y, Z, that they're actually seeing that happen, right? That's the other part of the, the process because it's um, going back to sort of like, how do we go about this? We had that conversation, I think, uh, Ben, if you recall back in August when we were just before training camp and we sat down and said, okay, what are the strengths of the team currently? And what are the areas that we need to improve on? And what do we need to do to compete, right? Uh, not just for the season, but going forward for the long term. And I think that was where the combine and some of the assessment work came into play. It actually, okay, well, like how good are we? Sure. Like what physical attributes do we have? And what do we need to make sure that we sustain, right? And what things like, no, like these are glaring issues. We need to work on them and let's get this going. And we let the season unfold is very short. So you can only make so much change, but at the same time too, though, we allow things to unfold and see, okay, what our talent level is actually providing for us because it's uh, like going into January, you need to know you're building off of what happened in the season. January is to build on next September. September is going to build on the next season based on what's previously been done. And I think that's the part there where there's a continuity to the measurables not just okay spot checks on various things no like skill acquisition development there's a sort of storyline a sort of um, a curve that you can actually follow and i think that's where i think the key for us especially is like use the science 
we're a school of higher learning um, and science is a huge component, like implement it. These kids are in school, they're doing it. So start speaking their language, right? And I think that's where I think we're starting to see the buy-in from a lot of the science kids, especially the engineers. It's all about logic to those guys anyways, so. No, and, and uh, again, um, that was a great point you made there uh, just at the end and it kind of yeah. transitions into my next point. Um, so for you, Dr. Rob, I mean, um, again, not, not everybody's familiar now. We, we've all kind of uh, seen so, sort of the trend on the way things are going with baseball and kind of the way it's getting science-based, especially the pitchers. Yeah. Um, and for those of you listeners who are out there who haven't read the article, uh, the, um, what was it, the Strasburg Monster? Yeah, the physics of a phenom. The yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that that article for me, when I when I first read it, it, yeah. it kind of opened my eyes to understand that there is a different way of looking at again how we move, and not just not just looking at oh, okay, he's got clean mechanics and he throws the ball this, but why? But again, we had the conversation off camera. Why? Why does this guy throw ninety, ninety five, a hundred, or even for our collegiate athletes, eighty five, eighty eight, ninety? and asking them that question. So I, I don't want to get too broad with it and just say, what is biomechanics in relation to baseball? Yeah. But, um, in terms of pitching, how important is it to understand um, how, how the pitchers are moving and not just, not just for University of Waterloo, but just pitchers in general, how, how coaches can really use this to the benefit now and get a better understanding of developing athletes from the ground at say, 10, 12, 14, 16, all the way up through college and then professionally. So uh, that article, when it came out uh, 2010, I think, the the big thing about that article was this guy that comes up out of nowhere, right, being a top draft pick and scales through the minors very quickly. The biggest issue to that article um, – because it, it gave you all the science on this is what it requires for somebody to throw 100 miles an hour. The reality is, and this is where like my uh, the development process came out. Two weeks later, his elbow blows up. Right, he had some faults in his mechanics, the inverted W, as everyone knows. And people read the article, I'm like, wow, this is what I got to do, and here's some of the metrics I need to have. Yeah, but he can't sustain it. Week before his elbow blew up, he got tired. He had forearm stiffness, right? So I think the big take home message on it is the mechanics are good. They sort of give you an idea of how well you're moving. But then the question becomes, do you actually have the ability to sustain it? And that's the one thing the article doesn't talk about. And we try to spend a lot of time on with our guys is you got to stay healthy. If you want speed, right, you have to stay healthy. You want, you know, exit velocity as a hitter. You need to stay healthy, right? And the biggest problem with that article in some respects is you can hack the system. You can get anyone to start throwing faster, hit harder, whatever it may be, but can you keep it? And I, the analogy that I make with people is that um, you can sort of cram, hack the system, get the attribute that you want, velocity, time, speed, whatever it may be, but it's like cramming for a test. You get that 95, right? A week from now, like, do you still know that material? And that's where I think this science is being uh, manipulated a little bit. You're seeing a lot of guys doing plyo balls. They're doing all these different strategies, which are really effective. Don't get me wrong. 
in the right sequence at the right time for the right athletes if they have the right prerequisites. And we pulled our guys back from a lot of the plyo ball stuff because it was just, you can't sustain it. We had one kid as just sort of as a sidebar, we're going through rap soda work and he's a big plyo guy. Does his plows before all the other prep work that we do. He comes out and his spin rate was 1200. So it was 84 miles an hour. One of our reliable relievers and his spin rate doesn't get over 1200, but you got the velocity though. So the point is, is that there's a lot more that goes into measurables than people realize. And that's a lot of the work that I do. It's the whys. That's the, really the big key because it sinks in. You're like, oh, right. And everyone knows how to cram for a test if they've been in school, right? And that analogy is where that article really exposed things because it was <laughs> like the be all end all at the time. And then when he got hurt, there other questions were asked. And that's where I was just like, ah, there's, okay, we got to change the conversation a little bit, right? So. Yeah, and, and it goes back, you made a great point in there. It's kind of like uh, the prerequisites, the why. And then yeah. again, based on, again, Ben, you're running an entire program. You've got like 25, 30 athletes. And uh, for yourself, Dr. Rob, you see 25, 30 different athletes. And I think the key word there is different. And uh, just on that individual, uh, the individual side of it, and it's something that we've tried to kind of get across to all our athletes and some of our coaches here in Newfoundland and Labrador is that, again, we, we, can't take, we can't take all these athletes and just basically make a mold and say, this is how you do something and this is how you're going to get better. So when it comes to uh, just like the science behind it and what you're looking at, how important is it for you to have some background information on uh, the kid prior to coming to Waterloo. I think one of the big things is like, again, you can look at as much video as you want and then as much uh, like a live bullpen and those two may be different, but we talked once again, something we talked about uh, when we were off the offline here um, was just that repeatability and yeah. just explain what you mean. But uh, again, I could explain it, but I want you to kind of uh, explain it to our viewers about repeatability and mechanics. And again, longevity, we're talking about taking a 10 or 12 year old and making sure that he can still throw when he's 25. Yeah. It's um, so some of that is obviously with, uh, I, I, I'm not big on the, the recruitment side as Ben is, but when Ben says, Hey, look at this guy, he has his coaching eye, right. And the expertise that uh, Ben has, right. So I already have a hint on, okay, what kind of skill this kid has where potentially he may or may not have a ceiling effect. And then from there, I break it down. Like, yeah, I'll let you throw. Like bullpen is one thing, but it's obviously that uh, re the repeatability. And part of that, to be honest with you, the re repeatability is, and I will hang my hat um, on this, is how do you prepare before you actually throw, right? Because reproducibility is not just can I throw – the same way every time, fastball, curveball, change up. Do I have the same uh, bat swing, whatever it may be? No, like the reproducibility is actually shows up every day. When you show up to the park, are you doing the things consistently over and over? That's repeatability. If you don't do that in your prep work, that doesn't happen on the mound. Like it never does. And if it does, it's a glimpse. It's there for one day and it's gone the next. And then you're, you're chasing it. 
And that prep work is where I will sort of hang my hat. And with a lot of the guys that we have that come through, it, I'll ask them, like, like, what's your prep work? What's your routine? Right. And I'm looking for that sort of that routine. Right. This is what I do each and every time. And with our guys, that's the one thing I hammered into them. Like, no, this you have to do it because it becomes a mental thing after a while. Less physical, more mental. And you just got to do it. Because if you can't be consistent in your prep work just to get ready, uh, like you can't do it when the game's on the line, right? Because now you're thinking too much and the mechanics aren't going to be there. And the other thing to it as well for tissue dynamics, tissue durability is based on consistency and, and repeatability over and over again, right? There's no uh, set number on that. But if you guys, if the guys aren't doing that, like I can already peg you, like who's going to break down, right? And, and part of it too is like with our drills that we do, like a lot of the basic ones that we do is to allow you to actually now do the high threshold work that Ben needs. Because Ben will say, I need this out of my pitchers going forward in the season. I need X number of innings, log, whatever it may be. And it went, and honestly, for pitchers, it shows up in long toss, right? If your work is consistent and you've prepared consistently, it shows up in the long toss, right? And that's where, like, for a lot of the guys, like in our combine, we do long toss evaluation because it gives me an idea, okay, where guys are at from a consistency standpoint, not just baseball. I think that's where most coaches and players, there's like, why well, I, I throw consistently every time. No, baseball is the test to your prep work, right? Because you spend more time in SNC and training than you are playing baseball. So, are you consistent on that end, which is pretty much about 80% of what you do anyways? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And you said it, uh, you know, just early on there, we, we talked about ceiling, um, you know, yeah. of an athlete. This is a question that I have. Uh, first all, I'll pose it to you, Ben, and then you, Dr. Rob. Um, is that something you're looking at? This is something Noah and I have talked a lot about as an athlete ceiling, particularly in a sport like baseball. Um, a lot of times you see these kids that are developed at a young age um, and then you see them when they're 14 and 15 years old and they're like, okay, they're throwing 78, 79, but they might actually be next to their ceiling already versus the kid that's 14 or 15 is now just coming into his own with his body. Wasn't the most athletic kid, but puts in the work. Now he's introduced to weights and, and understanding how to exercise and all these things. And he's only, again, thrown 71, 72 and his ceiling is, is much higher. Are those things you're considering as part of your recruitment process when you're looking at kids' workouts? So, Ben, how do you look at it? And then for yourself, Dr. Rob. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not just with your recruits, but but with your returning guys as well. Um, I think it's a really important thing to consider ceiling and projectability and, and obviously commitment level um, as three of, of sort of the biggest things of what a guy can give you now and what can they give you down the line. A good example would be we had a guy – uh, who made our team this year, a walk-on, showed up. Traditionally, I think he'd been a double-A baseball player, um, but has unbelievable athleticism, had done a lot of gymnastics growing up, strong kid, introduced to weights, uh, throwing hard on the mound with with lots of projectability and, you know, got a couple at-bats for us and hit a home run. So um, it, it's interesting when you you find an athlete that um, is raw and and you, you don't necessarily think, okay, I don't know if it's going to be a great fit right now, but three, four years into a program, Andrew's expertise, our coaches working on skill development as well, you could have a real diamond in the rough. And so um, sometimes a guy like that um, you know, makes you think twice about 
another player who's who's been there and who has uh, maybe a, a lower ceiling or uh, not the same drive to to reach whatever their ceiling might be. So um, certainly you do see uh, a, a wide range in in terms of what that ceiling would be in, in the OUA as well. We got guys that are no doubt D1 talents and some that have played in the D1 uh, leagues and and that sort of thing. And and then other guys um, kind of surprising and come out of nowhere. So. Um, that's kind of how I would approach potential ceiling commitment, that sort of thing. When we do our initial, you know, deciding on roster decisions, and and if you give a guy with a high ceiling an opportunity, and they come out and impress and continue to stay committed, well, you know, you can hopefully bank on that um, in future years. And and sometimes those guys don't pan out, and and that's where recruiting comes in, and you got to find more guys that you think are are going to be able to to get the job done. The, uh, so I'll take it from a, the science perspective on it a little bit. Um, there's, like, we'll take uh, baseball, there's two speed windows. There's seven to nine, 11 to 14. And these are brackets where you don't refine skill, you just let it go, grip and rip, just go. And to that point, one of the things I ask a lot of the kids, like, do you play sports? And sports being plural, like, the, the premise on that one is it allows you to acquire the physical attributes um, of just being athletic in general that baseball doesn't provide all the time, right? So I look at that from the standpoint of a ceiling effect. And then I look at physiological age, right? So there's some metrics there that University of Saskatchewan uh, uses. And what I do with some of the younger guys in our community is I look at where are you, are you higher on that end or are you lower end, meaning that you're just slow maturing, right? but the ceiling fix isn't there that might have an influence down the road or no, you're that kid that matures faster and you're the kid that the coach relied on, right? Because you just matured, you're stronger than all the other kids and you're the workhorse. And then you start asking questions on, have you always been a pitcher? And that's when I start to see like, it's harder to deconstruct a guy that all he's ever done has been a pitcher and been abused as a pitcher, meaning that he's just logged too many innings and he's not been allowed to develop um, overall, because by the time they come into university, the, the realization on our end, more so my end, is that there's only so much I can do in eight weeks. And there's only so much that we can project going forward. Yes, there's diamonds in the rough, as Ben alludes to, but there's a lot of mileage, bad mileage on there, right? And being athletic gives you a buffer, number one. And number two is, um, Range is currency for speed and power, which is also the currency for athleticism, which goes to your point, Noah, about uh, movement quality, right? Movement quality is just the expression of your ranges that you have, right? So in multiple sports allow you to retain those ranges. Once you start becoming a single sport athlete, you start losing ranges because you're always using them. You're never using the full spectrum. And that's how our brains work that it needs to use everything on a consistent basis, not in isolation. And that's why, like Ben alluded to it, um, some of the our best ball players are our best athletes, and you see it in their combine. Their numbers are through the roof. Uh, they make things look really easy, and it goes to show you that they don't break down as much either, and that's the other part to it as well. Like it's uh, We want to see good athletes because they're coachable, smart kids, are smart because they have good grades in all subjects. Athletes, if you're a good ball player, you should be proficient or at least active in multiple. Just gives you that buffer, right? But I think the schedules don't permit it anymore. 
and that's it, that's a, a challenge and it's obviously a topic into itself but in terms of ceiling effects it's like that physiological age those two uh windows for speed and do you play other sports really that's what it comes down to it you made a comment about um the speed windows the, the yeah. ages and you made you throw a term called grip and rip things like that yeah. we had a, a fascinating conversation with uh tyler susie from velo yeah. pitching over at Playball academy and we talked about something that is done wrong at multiple levels of the game across the country which is just telling kids to throw strikes at a young age and the kid that can throw the ball over the plate is the one that gets the pitching how important is it as a coach with young kids developing to teach them to throw the ball with intent versus just guiding it over the plate when they're physically developing? Um, well, it's, it's, it's ultimately, um, it's a paradox, the speed accuracy. So the harder you throw, the less accuracy, right? So at, uh, at some point, um, obviously you're going to have one versus the other, but there's also a safety rule with that as well right? Number one yeah. for um, competitors. Number two is your tissue health. Just because you can grip and rip doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing either. Um, but I think that um, the speed itself and uh, in terms of the intent, so to speak, do it in other ways. Like you don't have to throw a baseball to throw hard, right? Like it's, and I think that's where the narrow mindedness sometimes comes into play. Like we do a lot of med ball stuff. Like Throwing a baseball right more does not make you necessarily throw harder unless you have a lot of prereqs, which that's a lengthy list. And I think that it's the intent should be to move the body fast to create momentum and allow the arm just to be a slingshot. And I think that needs to be taught at a young age um, versus, you know, I, I need to be accurate. Well, that's part of the art of pitching, right? But if you do accuracy based drills, um, in other areas and, and other means, it becomes a more of a mental approach than actually a physical approach. All right. And I think that's where athletes come into play. They played hockey, they played basketball. They've already trained themselves to learn how to be accurate at times. And I think that's where um, they come into play. And if a kid that's never played another sport, I think you have to do both, to be honest with you. I think there's an equal balance on that. Uh, or you encourage them to play other sports. Like all my young kids, like you're playing another sport, please play another sport. Otherwise you're gonna come in and I'll train you and we're gonna do other things other than baseball, right? Because it's, you need it, right? I kind of and see that point. in my day job as well. I'm a phys ed and leadership teacher in a high school. So um, yeah. it's great to see kids that, that show up in your gym class or whatever arrive at your school in grade nine, getting involved in high school sports, um, multiple high school sports. Um, I can think of one kid I know that's a grade nine at our school now. He's a fantastic baseball player, plays in a great organization with Great Lake Canadians. And he's the kind of kid who wants to just soak up as much as he possibly can. He's, a, you know, he wants to become more athletic. He wants to focus on doing his left hand work when we're doing a basketball uh, lesson or, or whatever it might be. So, you know, you want to find guys that thirst for that um, desire to improve, but but not just to to improve, you know, the extension on on a pitch or or you know something very uh, specific. You want to find guys that want to improve um, their athleticism across the board, their strength, their their mobility, flexibility, um, you name it, and and also um, their knowledge of the game too. I think that's another important thing that that goes along with it, um, and something that we've been fortunate with Andrew and, and our staff to 
hopefully give our guys um, a, a better understanding of why this is important and what this means for your body going forward and you know how these things apply in, in different game situations and um, that sort of thing. I, I think of one example, um, we were playing a game against Guelph and Andrew looked at me and said to the, about the pitcher that was on the mound that uh, you know he's, he's missing a couple of his checks here. Um, he, won't, he won't last another inning. And I remember thinking like, shit, I got to get at least one more out of this guy before we go to the pen. So I left him out there and what did you know? <laughs> you know a couple of shots and Starts being shaking, wrong. <laughs> shaking my head. I, I'll eat that humble pie. But, yeah. uh, but it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you hope that guys can build that athleticism so that um, they can maintain it longer. And, you know, maybe next year I can count on that guy for one more inning. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. you know, I think certainly as you look to develop players, um, that's something that we absolutely key on, even in some of the goofy games that we do at the beginning or end of our, our practices. Sometimes we'll get in there and we'll do a, a game called Kunkel or Speed Demons, which is just an athleticism game. Can you react to somebody sprinting towards you um, and then you know chase them down? Uh, so there's lots of different ways to to apply natural athleticism within a baseball context and and across the board. And th this was one point, and all it's going to be addressed to both of you guys. Um, but uh, the OUA, for those who don't realize, is very unique collegiately as a, as I guess a baseball conference, and I guess all Canadian schools are like it. Besides the CCBC out west, but again, playing a fall season, and then all of a sudden, you play that eight-week grueling schedule, and then you have from January until the end of the school year where you're not really playing any games and all of a sudden the next time you see your athletes in a performance setting would potentially be next fall when they come back for training camp. Now, how difficult is that in kind of getting an idea of where your guys are and how beneficial is that as well? Because you get to groom them going into their summer programs. Sure. I'll start off, I guess. Um, the cool thing with the season, yeah, it's a heck of a two months, um, a little more than that if you include training camp. And we try to pack in 30, 32, 33 games for our guys in that short period of time. So there's lots of opportunity, no question. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the offseason is, is critical, though. And I know you mentioned January right through when they start their summer stuff. We, we see that as, you know what, from the end of our season to the beginning of January, you better lift and, and get strong and athletic and that kind of thing. And when we start into baseball specific stuff in January, um, you know, we start slow and, and we want to build towards the end of our window before the summertime being very competitive. Um, and you can build competition in, in a variety of ways. Uh, had it not been for COVID right now, we'd be into April and starting to do more specific uh, competitive type stuff in the tunnels, live stuff with pitchers, catchers and hitters. Um, lots of tracking of data with that as well um, to find out, hey, man, you're chasing balls low and away right now. So this for the next two weeks, this is our focus with um, when you're seeing BP, when you're seeing live pitching, it's that pitch low and away. Let's make sure it's there. Or let's make sure it's not, you know, a ball or two balls off the, off the side of the plate or, or whatever. So um, I think the, the off season for us has been a huge, huge area for our guys to develop. And um, I love to see most of them taking it really seriously and committing themselves to, to being better. Not for us. I mean, they're doing it for each other. And that's the big thing um, is you want to have guys that want to come in and, and make the team better. And, and yeah, if there's individual benefit from that, great. Um, if it helps you solidify a starting spot, if it helps you get a couple more ABs or 
whatever awesome but um, at the end of the day we want guys to to be competing for each other and and trying to do everything that they can through that entire off season to go to their summer programs and kick ass in those summer programs and, and be a really important guy a guy that's leaned on by their summer team um hopefully without getting abused um and so that when they show up in the fall they're uh, they're ready to go full bore and and hopefully lead us to where we want to get to what do you yeah, think it's uh building off that like it's this year especially like um guys came in we had some load management with some of uh, our um, more experienced or senior guys that were either playing some senior IBL um, or just, you know, they were logging a lot of innings late into August. So we sort of tapered them into the season so that way we can get through the eight weeks because it gets really intense the last three weeks when you got to vie for a spot and it comes into the playoff schedule. Um, so there was that end. But also to come into January, like, a lot of these guys, once they know where they're going to be playing, obviously this year it sort of got uh, derailed a little bit. But if we're developing our guys to the best of our abilities and they are better going to their summer teams, you know they're going to play a lot more. That's our goal for them, right? So if on uh, from the the pitcher standpoint, if they're better and they're they're reliable, they're consistent, you know they're going to log innings. That's a good thing. So then on on my end, it's just a matter of okay, well, come uh, spring training, we ease you back in. Right, you're not going full out, and um, sort of make sure you stay healthy. Like my job, and and part of the hat that I wear is I have to keep guys healthy. Like, how do I do that with the medical staff on uh, at the university, uh, but still give them the playing time? Because guys are gamers; they want to play, right? So it it that's a tough one as well. Like, hey man, I coach, I piss all summer, like I'm good to go. Yeah, but there's only so much the tissue can handle. So I think there's that fine balance on workload. But also, too, it's a double-edged sword. Like, we're producing better athletes, but they're going to be used a lot more. And we've got to be able to sort of build contingency into that coming into training camp. Um, not can't, you can't really tell coaches what to do about their pitchers, as some NCAA schools do. And I get that. But, man, I want these, our kids to play and have fun and really showcase, hey, man, this is what I've been doing at Waterloo, man. Like, look what I can do. And, and go out and deal. Like, I want to see that. I want to hear those stories um and then build from there it's just it, it you're right man it, it's a challenge obviously the COVID has sort of derailed that plan a little bit but um we'll just implement different things going into september this year so yeah and i think that's a, a really good uh transition into your programs right now we haven't talked you know a whole lot you know we're getting towards the end so i want to make sure we get this in and what's what is your goal ben uh with the University of Waterloo program, I mean, it, it'd be cliche to say a championship. We, of course, know you would like to win a championship, yeah. but, you know, how do you continue to grow uh, grow the sport of baseball at Waterloo? I mean, uh, I think Noah and I may have talked about this, but, you know, whatever support you get from the OUA in and of itself, I think the OUA will reestablish itself as a, you know, we'll say a certified or, or recognized league based off of coaches like yourselves putting together excellent programs at the school to the point where you, you're just going to get an influx of athletes where it is, it's a full on legitimate program. I think that's the path that it's on right now. I think everybody can see that. We talked about it with the baseball guru, the average velo has gone up seven, eight, nine miles an hour, you know, in the OUA over the past handful of years. So, I mean, what is it you're looking to do with this program? Where do you want to take it? And part of that that I want to tie in is just, it is a short season. We talked about it's eight weeks. Is part of your vision having something later in the spring 
or do you want, uh, you know, maybe go on a spring trip with your guys? You might not have the budgets of the big schools, but you know, I just, there's a lot to unpack there, but just kind of what, what are you wanting to do? Yeah. I mean, I think the direction sort of thing is an easy one for us. Uh, we want to make ourselves into a can't miss program. Honestly, we, we've got the academic reputation already. There are tons and tons of great smart baseball players out there that are, you know, are, are admissible to our school. And sometimes it's a little more work to, to find them. But um, if you're a smart guy in, in a baseball program right now and you're 16, 17, 18, continue to do the very best that you can um, in your academics and, and that sort of thing, because it's only going to open more doors, whether that's with us or, you know, Queens, you mentioned earlier, they've got high academic standards or lots of different schools. Um, you know, when you've got that foundation behind you, um, you can do lots of things. And, and like I said, for us, I mean, our support in terms of on-campus facilities is, is probably unmatched. Um, and you look at the, the direction that we've headed and the buy-in from our players and, and a really strong core, um, I think that guys are just going to want to be a part of that. It's something that um, is easy to resonate with. Hey, man, it's a great school. It's an awesome facility with the field house and with the practice time. And our, our park, our home park is Jack Couch, pretty small yard uh, if you've ever played there. So uh, it's a nice place to hit. Not so fun for pitchers, but that's why, that's why we've got Andrew to, to work our pitchers uh, right into yeah. you know, keeping stuff on the ground. But it, it's awesome, man. Like, and and yeah. the direction of the league, like you said, it's developed a ton in the last little while. And we want to be one of the teams that set the pace for it, not just – um, you know, with championships or anything like that. Yeah, that's a goal, but we want to push it. We want to do more to develop guys. So there are more Alex Nolans and more, you know, guys looking to to go pro or at least to get some great opportunities over and above um, DOUA baseball or the IBL or, or whatever it is. We want to see guys leaving here and, and, you know, really being great representatives of the high-end talent that OUA uh, can and, and does possess. So, yeah, I would say direction-wise, we just want to keep moving, you know, the way we've been going and hopefully continue to add really high end recruits to, to an already strong mix. Yeah. The, uh, if I can add to that, it's coming from Brock, you know, you can appreciate this, like Lounsbury at the time, back in 96, 97, 98, he developed a program as best as he could for the time. And it was a, a it was a litmus test for most programs, for most teams. Like, okay, how do we measure up against Brock? And it's that gap has narrowed dramatically over the years because of the talent and the schools that people are like, yeah, I can stay in the OUA. But to that point, though, it's that they were trailblazing back then, right, along with a couple of the other programs. Others have finally caught up having the, the coaching staff and the networks in place. And you see that, like, the likes of, a, like, an Alex Nolan, who he advocates for the OUA. And I think it's a responsibility of all of us, alum and coaches and, and existing players. Like you carry that brand with pride and you compete because there's a lot of good talent here. And obviously our direction is to, and me personally, is to like uphold that statement that Alex is, because I work with him a lot, that we maintain that, right? And we make sure we push each and every program when we go into their barn, like we do a good job and we actually compete Right. And we are able to bring and maintain our Canadian talent in Canada. And it's uh, and the only way you do that is like you've got to have a lot of the, the coaching staff and the programs that we're trying to implement as others are trying to do as well, um, just to be competitive. Right. And I think this uh, this season, especially with the covid, is going to be a great opportunity for the OUA because of the influx of players. OK, guys are going to stay. OK, use them. 
we always talked about there's not enough talent that would stay in the OUA. Well, I think we're getting it. And now let's showcase what this game is in the OU. And um, it'll make heads turn. Like, you know what, it's uh, there's one guy, a couple of guys have gone out of the OUA into the MLB. Like, we can get more. All right. I, I truly believe that. It's just, I think, a collective group, we all have to do it, not just individually. Yeah, and, and that's a great point. I mean, uh, it's just – you know, you kind of open the door there with uh, with the term opportunity and staying in Canada. Um, I had the chance to play with Sean Valeriat, who was drafted out of Brock. And yeah. I was around Brock when uh, Alex was at Brock in his first couple of years. And just to see that um, there's eyes on the talent there, guys. And yeah. especially and that, that's that's kind of the thing. And I'm not sure if Newfoundland athletes see it again. Majority of our viewers are from Newfoundland, but. Again, anybody who's watching across Canada and I'll advocate for the OUA because, again, yes, I do have that bias of playing in the OUA, but it's it's programs like Waterloo that are taking it to the next level, developing player development and looking at the different variables and giving the opportunities. And also, at the end of the day, it's, it's great education at most of these OUA schools and even the colleges, the OCAA. Um, they've come a long way since their inception of their programs. So... I, I was going to ask that question, but you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. And I'm actually going to transition and kind of hand the floor over to you guys. You guys do have an announcement you wanted to make actually here with us before we go off the air. So I'll, I'll hand over the table to you guys and uh, let you kind of uh, introduce something that you've been waiting for. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and you introed it really well by talking about the quality of the talent in the OCAA as well. There's no question there's tons of talent there. Um, and we're actually proud to, to introduce a new recruit out of the OCAA out of the Humber Hawks. Uh, we've got a new outfielder. His name's Liam Sutherland. Uh, he's actually the 2017 player of the year for Humber. Uh, he's won a couple of championships with them, a number of all-star nods. I think he hit 424 last year. Uh, so certainly happy to have him in the mix and, and he'll join what's already a, a pretty deep lineup. So um, definitely excited to, to make that announcement. I know this is a, a huge recruiting tool, this, this podcast. Um, for you guys to to spread some awareness, and so we thought it would make sense to to drop this today with you guys. So, um, if anyone's interested, they can always check out our website um, and and read up on him a little bit more. It's GoWarriorsGo.ca, and you can find your way to the baseball side of things. But uh, yeah, he'll he'll be an impact player within the entire league. Uh, we already have, we think, one of the best outfielders in Mackenzie Strong, and so uh, yes, to sir. add uh, Liam to the mix, boy, we we could have some real talent out there going and getting balls. Well, I think that's a, a good, you know, this is this would be a good way to get into the end of this, you know, in three sentences or less, I'll say for for each of you. I and mean, we could talk about this forever. This hour actually just flew by. I'm looking at my clock right now. But three sentences each or less, um, you know, a kid right now that's thinking about playing baseball, you know, beyond high school. Why should they stay in Canada? Why should they play in the OUA? Why should they choose Waterloo? So, Ben, you go first, my friend. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um Obviously, just the, the chance to compete um, in a really high caliber league in front of all of your friends uh, and family, lots of time for, for kids from Ontario anyway. Um, you know the people in the league. You know the high-end talent that's in the league. Um, so there's a familiarity there. Um, and I, I think if you want to be a part of growing that and, and being a part of the group of athletes that get Ontario to, you know, the, whether it's OCAA or OUA, to the next level of, of college and university baseball, um, I think there's a lot of benefit in that. Lots of kids that really resonates with, hey, man, I want, you know, it's here now, but I, I want to get it to there for everyone's sake. Um, 
next one, I guess, would be the quality of education. You look across the province and right across Canada, there are tons and tons of great opportunities to, to get a meaningful degree in a program of study that, that really resonates with you. So um, there's no question there are good schools everywhere, but uh, we feel really good about the opportunities and, and paying domestic student fees is kind of nice as opposed to paying international student fees at times too. Um, and from our perspective, um, you're seeing more teams, including ours, that have AFAs, which are athletic financial awards, um, which schools can begin to give out to student athletes in Canada too. So, um, yeah, definitely there are there are opportunities in Canada that will will rival or, or maybe exceed some of those uh, in the U.S. at times. And then, oh, last thing, um, sorry, I was going to say one more run-on yeah, sentence yeah, no, for you. Go for it, buddy. Um, Would we'll just be, <laughs> man, you know what? Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. More than anything. Uh, you get to come in and we've seen kids from awesome programs all around Ontario, some of the elite teams and, and some from regular um, EOBA teams and, and stuff like that, EELO. Um, you know, you, you have a ton of fun doing it um, and you get that recognition on campus and um, support of your athletics department. It, it makes for an awesome student experience. So I would say those are three great reasons to to consider Ontario schools and hopefully to consider Waterloo as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, then well said. It's uh, what I will add as uh, the final point to this is uh, from Waterloo's end, um, we're here to extend your baseball careers beyond the OUA it, opportunities with Northwoods League or some of the other collegiate leagues. Um, my goal as part of the player development is to get you to that next level, get you to showcase yourself, really take OUA to another level. Um, because the only way for OUA to actually exhibit itself is you got to get into some of those other leagues. And from a pitching standpoint, um, I'll do what I got to do to get you there. All right. Awesome, guys. This was absolutely incredible. I enjoyed this one very much. And, and, and I know, you know, Noah's a big fan of this. Anything, yeah. Noah, you kind of want to finish off with? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, once again, guys, I'm a big advocate for it. Anybody that's been around me, it's, it's kind of, I, I keep, keep the talent in Canada. This is a great opportunity. I know that um, any, anybody from any other school that's listening out there, take the opportunity, research these programs. That was the biggest thing that I did um, was that I just researched an OUA program, found Jeff Lounsbury. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, I mean, he was, he was open to me coming up and coming to training camp. And um, the biggest thing is there's opportunities here, like in, right in Canada, guys. And I'll keep saying that. We had a couple of guys on that said it before. But once again, programs like Waterloo are starting to, once again, revolutionize how we develop the talent, not only at the collegiate level, but they see you, they bring you through all, everything, like your combine. Your combine was excellent after seeing the pictures there. So I can't commend you enough about that. That was awesome to see. And uh, to see it happen in the field house, that was excellent as well. So there's facilities all across this country, guys. You just got to go out and find them. And now's a better time than any to have a look and see what's out there for you. So, but uh, thanks again, guys, for coming on. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime for sure. Thank thanks you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and you guys will, you'll owe us a, a recruitment trip in the future. You're going to have to, U of W is going to have to make a trip to Newfoundland to Premier Sports Academy and recruit some talent. Absolutely. In the future. Done. All right. <laughs> Done. All right, <laughs> gentlemen. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, guys. See you guys. See you later. See you guys.